You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on the sermon series entitled, Light, Experiencing Christ in the Psalms. Keith and Debbie Jagers hid away in a shower stall deep within their home, and they were so frightened that they could hear each other's heart beat. They were living a nightmare. Their whole world seemed to be crumbling around, and they were certain, they were certain this would be the day that death would come to them. Keith and Debbie were missionaries in a small village in Ghana called Wa, W-A, a village that was famous for its black magic But there was also a small group of believers that lived there, and the Jagers felt called to nurture that group of believers and to help them to grow and and train them up. But there was incredible hostility right from the very beginning. Keith can tell stories of being spat upon in town. And he would say, they just looked at us with such hatred not just because we were believers, but because we were Americans. And they hated us for that. Well, tensions continued to grow. And strange things began to happen. They hired a watchman to guard their home. And one day... Keith was just working on his screen door, just repairing the door, and a nail came flying off the wall and grazed his head. Later that day, Debbie was walking through the home, and a shelf fell upon her so hard that she was injured and had to have stitches, and so they took her to a local village doctor. And the doctor asked her kind of a strange question. He said, was this really an accident? And she thought at first that he was asking if Keith had done this to her. But the doctor knew something that the Jagers didn't know. The, doctors, the doctor knew that a group of Muslim men had come into the village that week and had been casting voodoo spells on the couple's home. And when the Jagers went to bed that night, they had no idea that there would be five men coming to kill them. And so a quarter of two in the morning... The couple was awakened to this incredible pounding and screaming, and they looked outside and they saw masked men, armed men, running through their front yard. And Keith said, when I look back now, it was absolutely strategic. They were coming to kill us. We thought we were going to die. They heard the watchman being beaten outside the door. Debbie went and grabbed the phone to call the police, but the phone lines were dead. They could hear a battering ram in the front door, and the men were now coming into the house. And so the only place that they could think of to hide was in that bathroom shower stall. And there they were now, by themselves, frightened, alone, in desolation. And so they just began to pray. They prayed over their lives. They prayed over their property. They just prayed. And they could hear the men going door to door in their home looking for people. And eventually it got to them. And they were found by these masked gunmen. 
And they pulled him out of that shower stall and flung them into the hallway. Then something amazing happened. Keith would say, it felt like we were being pulled out of the bathroom into the power of the Holy Spirit. Debbie said, that hallway began to shake. It began to rattle to the point where Keith had to reach over and steady me. And we could see fear in the faces of the gunmen as they stared us down. And finally, in the midst of all of this, the gunman looked at Keith and said, we, need, we want money from you. So Keith just happened to have a $100 bill he was carrying, and he, and he handed it to them, and he said this. He said, in the name of Jesus. And they said at that moment that the name of Jesus was mentioned, the gunman began to back up and recoil in the hallway. They're the ones that had the guns. And they were backing up, and they were afraid, and they went into the front room, and they could hear the men talking, and here were the Jaggers standing there waiting to see what would happen next. But the gunman never returned. The gunman got in their car, and they drove away. The supernatural had happened. God had intervened in a way that no one could have imagined. The Jaggers literally went from death to life. And they're no wackos. I mean, they're Southern Baptist missionaries. So I believe this really happened. And it's been written about in many different periodicals. God rescued the Jaggers on that day. God is in the business of taking us from desolation to being rescued to new life. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Our lives many times follow the same track. Now, maybe not with that kind of intensity. I hope not. But we do find times when we feel like we're lost and God sweeps in to rescue us. And so today I want to give you hope. I want to give you hope that though you may feel alone, there is hope for you. Though you may feel that God is distant, there is hope for you. And though you may feel like you're the, at the end of yourself and you can't go on another step, there is hope for you when we follow Jesus from desolation to restoration. So let's dig into the Word and let's talk about this. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to Psalm 22, page number 457. If you want to grab that Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, Psalm 22, you can also download and look at the Ridgewood app. It has all the scripture there and some study notes for you as well. So during this Advent season, we're learning Jesus from the Psalms. And this is an incredible Psalm. Psalm 22 really speaks to me. The amazing thing about these psalmists is all this was written some 1,000 years before the incarnation, before Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And so far, we've seen that Jesus, as he went through his ministry, would be rejected by his own people. We've seen that he would be betrayed by those that were closest to him. We've also seen in the Psalms that he is a conquering king. And today, we'll look at this Psalm and notice that there's a prophecy that he would die and be resurrected. And that's where we get our hope. That's where we get this idea of going from death to life. 
And so here's the text. And I want you first to notice in verses 1 through 10 that there's an earnest prayer. David prays that he would not be forsaken because for him, his suffering was real and it was acute. But laid over this, you'll see that he's also prophesying ahead to the Savior, Jesus Christ. So look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and you rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have seen, you have been my God. That's a powerful few verses that describe exactly what's going on in the heart of David. And where I want to start this morning is this. Desolation caused by suffering is real. It happens in our lives. Maybe not to the intensity of what happened to the Jaegers, but we experience this. And so let's not explain it away. Let's not pretend it's not happening. Let's see where Jesus is when we are suffering. Because for David here, this suffering is real. He felt forsaken by God. He was surrounded by his enemies. And there's no doubt here that David was looking for a rescue from this very real suffering. And throughout this psalm, David forecasts the death and resurrection of Christ. And you'll notice right away that very first phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, of course, that, of course, is the phrase used by Jesus right before he died. As the Father looked away from the sin of mankind that was placed upon his shoulders that he was about to atone for. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a haunting phrase. That's a lonely phrase. That's a phrase of the distraught. But David knew God. He trusted God. And though he's crying out in his pain, he's also appealing to his heritage with these words, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. He knew what God had done for his people. He understood the history of his nation. And he had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And so I wonder if you've ever been on the doorstep of desolation. I wonder if you've ever come to a place and looked out and just seen scorched earth. 
and thought, I have nowhere I can go with this. I know I have. I've been there. Maybe for you, it's you lost someone you love, and it's really hard to move forward. Maybe it's someone has betrayed you, and that trust, you just can't figure out how to move along in that relationship, and God seems like he's not with you. Maybe you understand those feelings. I know I do. And that's what, exactly what David was feeling here. He's crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? He's in the middle of desolation. He's not rescued yet. His pain is real. The second thing that happens at times like this is that God can seem so very distant. That doesn't mean he is distant. That means that he can seem distant. Look at verse 11 with me. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Trouble was near, help was missing. And David himself, he's not used to being in these kind of straits. I mean, he was the boy who was invited into the palace to be with Saul. He's the one who defeated the Philistines. He's the one that palled around with Saul's son, Jonathan. He had commanded the, the valiant men of 400 and 600, but now the rebellion was on. Now they were seeking David's life. And like whom David prefigured his antitype, Jesus Christ, the one who would come, now he was absolutely alone. Jesus was alone. In Matthew 26, 56, all the disciples forsook him and fled. Can you imagine going through the darkest hour of your life, the ministry that you had forecast, the reason you had called these disciples together, and they're gone, and you're all alone. This is so poignant when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane that is still there, and many of the trees and the surroundings are still there, and you look up and you can see the, the old city of Jerusalem and you can see the pathway through the Kidron Valley that Jesus would have walked, and you just feel the aloneness. He was alone in the garden praying. He must have looked out and seen them coming with lamps and swords and banging with their armor, and there was no disciple to be found. Totally alone. Just as the Jaegers had grasped for hope in a showered stall, just as David had prayed fervently for help, Jesus was alone because the Father seemed distant. Those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So many times in our suffering, God seems disinterested and far away. And even more, many times when we're in these kind of places, Evil appears to win. We just look around, we go like, why am I even doing this? Evil's going to win. The people who are doing evil are the ones who are prospering. And we can see that here in David's writing. If you look at verses 12 through 21, he's describing how he's encircled by evil. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ra ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water 
All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a postern, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. David uses this incredible imagery to try to describe what he's facing, how this evil seems to be winning, how it is encircling him. The bulls of Bashan were were known around that region for being the strongest bulls and well-fed, and that's a great image that he put out there. There are feared lions that David fought while he was a shepherd boy. He lost his desire to keep going. That's what he means by his mouth was dry. His heart was like wax. He, he was struggling not to give up. His weakness had brought him to the point of death. Dogs, they weren't family pets at this time. They were scavengers. They threatened to shred him. Evil men surrounded him. And then, in 16 through 18, this stunning turn toward a forecast of Jesus. 16, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We see this phrasing used of David's descendant king, the future Jesus in his incarnation. Look at Luke 24, 39 through 40. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Here's David a thousand years before Christ. And he's prefiguring the king with his own suffering. These words are reflective of his suffering, but Jesus' suffering comes into view. And when you have times that you feel alone, when you have times that you feel like you, don't, you can't go on, when you have times when things are so disappointing in your life, they're not working out the way you thought, you know, I wonder how many of us could raise our hands and say, yes, life went exactly had I had planned. Probably be a few raised hands. And then I, you know, go out and look at the mirror. But I would say this, it rarely does. And so what are we going to do about that? How are we going to cope with that? What kind of strength are we going to draw in from that? And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you hope. Because at this dark place, this is the truth. Jesus comes. He rescues and he restores. You're not alone. You're not at a place where you can't move forward. Because Jesus rescues and restores. And through Christ, we can move from desolation to restoration. From darkness to light. We can move from death to life. God came for David. God came for the Jaggers, and God will come for you. 
So through Christ, we can move forward. And this is what David wrote about now in in verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he's not hidden his face from him but has heard when he cried to him. For you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. Make your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. David had found hope. He'd found rescue. The psalmist was rescued. Jaggers were rescued. Jesus was rescued. And you can be rescued. And the basis of this praise is not self-help. It's not that he'd done a good job of clenching his fists and said, I'm going to barrel forward. I can do this. No. The basis of his praise is Jesus. What we see now is Jesus, what he saw as the great I am. And so he encouraged them to keep on praying. That phrase, may your hearts live forever, that means do not give up. Do not give up. What did the Jagers do? When they were in that shower stall and their house was being ransacked by gunned, masked men, they just started to pray. Don't give up. The the whole gamut of our human experience is wrapped up in Christ. Desolation, hostility, pain, death, and then restoration, resurrection. It's all there. And don't forget, Jesus knows exactly how we feel, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He knows our weaknesses. That's amazing. When you sit down and pray in the morning, you don't have to just apologize for being you. You can just go right to the throne room of grace because Jesus understands how you're feeling, that real and horrible suffering. And David saw this, and David wrote about it, and it prefigured Christ. The Jagers thought their lives were over. They said that many times as they recapped the incident. We knew we were going to die. But they didn't. Because the supernatural work of God saved them. Now here's the thing. God doesn't save everyone physically. God doesn't heal everyone. And I don't really understand how that all works. But I do believe God hears our prayers. I always think of when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, and there must have been thousands of people at that pool. That's the pool where the water would be stirred, and people could go in and be healed. Jesus didn't go to the thousands. He went to one guy. He healed him, and he left. I don't understand that. But I do believe in God's sovereignty. And I do believe one thing for sure, is that he will always heal spiritually when he's asked to. He may not heal our bodies, but he will heal our soul. 
When we come to him in faith, when we come to him in repentance, and we say, I am so sorry for the sins I've committed against you, God. When we say that we trust Jesus as the answer for salvation, he's died on the cross, he's carried the penalty of that sin. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was carrying the sins of the world on his shoulders. The father couldn't even look at his own son. If we believe that that's our sin, and we trust him to forgive us of our sin and believe in him, then we can have eternal life. And that's a guarantee. And we can trumpet that news. We can be proud of that news. We can be excited about that news. And I want to show you a quick video about a woman in our church that was so excited to tell others about Jesus that others responded to her. It's an amazing video. I am honored to be here and surprised how God has used me. <laughs> um, I had an amazing summer um, with being able to have, I'm a teacher, so I'm really busy during the school year, and I just felt convicted that God was telling me that I don't have margin in my life for Him. And so this summer, I really intentionally tried to cut back on my social schedule <laughs> and be available for God. And it was just a really exciting time and He used it in an amazing way. Um, the first situation was with my niece and nephew, Ruby and Eddie, who are eight and 11. And um, we went to see the movie, I Can Only Imagine. And uh, it's an incredible film. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely see it. And um, I noticed during the movie that my nephew was crying. And I just thought, I need to tell these guys about Jesus. You know, they know we're believers. We live our faith. When they come over, we pray before dinner. Um, but I never actually asked the question. And I just felt like God prompting me. like. You know, they were going to spend the night with us, have a sleepover, and I felt like, okay, I need to do this. Um, but we got home and it was chaotic at our house with teenagers and their friends, and there wasn't really a good opportunity. So um, the next morning, though, uh, we woke up, my son and daughter were home for the summer, and um, I went downstairs, and uh, Ruby and my daughter were putting makeup on. And I just sat down and I said, um, Ruby, let's tell Anna about the movie. She hasn't seen it yet. And so she started talking about the movie and we talked about this transformation that the father has when he accepts Christ as his personal savior. And um, I just said, Anna, do you, my daughter, do you remember when you asked Jesus into your heart? And she said, yeah, you know, I was, in the bathtub and she said, I don't remember how old I was, but I was young and, and I said, so do you think that has made a difference in your life? And she said, oh yeah, it definitely has. She said, now I know that where I'm gonna go if I were to die, you know, that I'll be in heaven. And then she said, you know, but even better is I know that I'm never alone. I always have Jesus with me. And so I just looked at Ruby and I said, Ruby, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? And she said no, and she was a little defiant. You know, she's eight years old and she was like, but it's because I don't know how. 
And I said, well, I know how, and Anna knows how. Would you like us to show you? And she said, yes. And so we were able to pray with her, and it was really exciting. So um, my nephew and my son were playing video games in the next room, and I just was so inspired by what happened. Like, God, oh my goodness, like, you totally worked a miracle here. And I'm like, well, let's go try it with Eddie. <laughs> so they were playing video games and kind of the same thing. I said, um, Eddie, you know, Isaac hasn't seen this movie. Let's tell him about it. And so, and Eddie's a storyteller, so he got every detail right. And, um, and then I asked Isaac, I said, Isaac, do you remember when you asked Jesus into your heart? And he said, oh yeah, you know, and kind of the same answer my daughter gave. He's like, I, it makes me have a lot less stress in my life because I know I'm not worried about what happens because I know I'm gonna be in heaven and I know that God is with me here on earth. And so I asked Eddie, I said, Eddie, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And he said, yes. And while we prayed the prayer, he just started sobbing. And it just, you know, and just, it was amazing to be able to be a part of a miracle happening. So um, I just thought, wow, God, you know, it's like you've asked me to give you margin, and I have, and like, this is awesome <laughs> to be able to be a part of his blessing other people. So I just, it really did bolster my faith and um, gave me like courage to be a little more um, aggressive in my faith, I guess. So I was having lunch with my um, son's, a friend of my son's, and um, we were at a restaurant at Champs, <laughs> and I felt we were having a conversation and she was getting ready to go to college, and I just felt, again, like that prompting from the Holy Spirit, and it was like, share with her about me. And I'm like, it's a crowded restaurant, you know, it doesn't seem like it's the right time, and I just kept feeling that, and so finally, like, we ordered dessert, and I'm like, I need to do this. <laughs> And so um, we were talking heart to heart, and she had said to me, um, you know, that my son had broken her heart. And because they had been dating, but she and I maintained a friendship after they broke up. And I said, well, you know, people will always break your heart. You know, people are undependable. And I said, you know, Scott and I, I married the love of my life, he's my best friend, but he could be gone tomorrow, hit by a bus, you know, something could happen. And uh, I said, but I have someone who will never um, let me down, and it's Jesus. And he's with me always, and he loves me no matter what. And um, it's just, it's the biggest treasure that I could ever have. And I said, you know, I really want that for you. And um, she was like, yeah, you know, I want that too. And I said, well, have you ever asked Jesus in your heart? And she's like, no. And I'm looking again at the crowded room and the waitress coming in. I'm like, well, do you want to? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you want to do it here? Or do you want to go out to the car? And she's like, let's do it here. Let's do it now. 
So I just held her hands and we prayed and she prayed the prayer. And when I looked back on that later, I thought, shame on me for not having faith that God was going to do something awesome. I want to thank Katie for letting us use her story. And it's such an impactful story because is you know the feeling I get as I watch it is we can we can do that. Like I can do that. Because she all she was doing was following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but she was also putting herself in a place where God could use her. The phrase that she used a couple of times was I know that I'm never alone. And so I want to ask you the question this morning, do you know do you know Jesus? To use Katie's terminology, have you ever accepted Jesus into your heart? Have you ever allowed him to be your savior? If you were to die today, tonight, something were to happen to you, do you know where you would spend eternity? Do you have hope that your life can change? If you don't know Jesus, now is the time to give your life to Jesus. The Bible says that we all have a sin problem. We're all so broken. I think we could get along so much better if we just all realized that we're all just broken people. But we are broken because of sin, and that sin also breaks a relationship with God. And our only hope is Jesus. It's our only hope is to trust Jesus. That means to ask for forgiveness of sin, for all the bad things I've done. It means to trust him that he did die on the cross and he paid for that sin. That's why we call it the atonement. It means justice has come for those that put their faith in him and that he rose again from the dead, defeating death from all time. And that means that I can live forever if I follow Jesus. And so, are you ready to finally put your life in the hands of Jesus, follow him, be his disciple? And are you ready to be like Katie and start giving God some time, putting margins in your life where you can actually be with non-believers and have those kinds of interactions. These 50 lamps that we're always talking about, they didn't come through some big church program. They came through people who felt like God was laying it on their hearts to go out and make a difference. And sometimes they came through church activities, and that's why we do church activities. But they're people who just decided, I want to follow Jesus. And so I want to just give you a moment before we go to the Lord's table and just bow your head and meditate and pray and think. Is this a time for you to be saved? Then you can just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And is this a time for you to rededicate yourself to the mission? Just take a moment, close your eyes, pray about that. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.